Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And even you can read all the books and go to seminars and webinars and all this sort of stuff. At the end of the day, you can only learn by trial and error. And sometimes you've got to go out and give it a go and, and make mistakes. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors, find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategy. In this episode, we'll be talking with Darren Standish, who strives to point other investors in the right direction based on his own experiences with property development. He shares how his trial and error approach has contributed to his success and how adapting to a stress economical cycle has helped him make the best decision when selling or buying property. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. As the founder of Property Prosperity, Standish has his hands full with clients on a day-to-day basis and answering inquiries to solving their problems with property investment. Basically, I just chat to people and find out what the situation is. There's a lot of people that are interested in property. Um, there's always something that they're not sure about. They want to invest in property or they've got a property or they, they want to buy a property or they want to sell a property. So I just basically chat to people and what the situation is and offer them solutions. The good thing is because I can do so many different things, I don't really have to push them into one direction. And so I can really have a chat to them, give them some advice and there's probably something I can do to help them out. And if I can't, I can at least point them in the right direction and maybe I can help them out in the future. So it gives me a lot of flexibility, I suppose. And if I'm just a builder and ask, and people ask me whether they should build a house, the answer is probably going to be yes. But because I can do so many different things, it sort of makes me independent and a bit unbiased, which is a, a good good way to be and, and just make sure I'm getting the best outcome for the client then. Despite his decade-long involvement in property investment and the position he has in his company, Standish is still not sure what exactly to label himself. And to be honest with you, I have no idea what my job title would be. I don't really know what I do. I just think of myself as a property guy, I suppose, and probably a property developer. Um, the thing about being a property developer, there's just lots of everything matters when you're a property developer. So obviously, finding the right project or analyzing the project or managing the subdivision, organizing your finance, or organizing the build or selling the property. So pretty much if you have one weak link in any one of those those chains, then um could be the difference between being profitable and being unprofitable. So I spent a long time trying to build up my skills in in all of those sort of areas so that I can really understand how it all works just to make sure I don't get caught out and get myself into trouble. So um, yeah, just a property guy really. Growing up in South Australia, Standish has no idea what occupational field he wanted to pursue, opting to go with the flow and discover his interests impulsively. 
so I just went to local local primary school and the local high school. So um, just yeah, just walked down into my street and went to school in the morning and walked back home again. Didn't really have any, you know, all the way through. I've just been interested in learning things and and I've just sort of been interested in in business and and but I haven't really exactly know what I wanted to be. I remember in high school, I just wanted to be a businessman and I didn't even know what that was, but I wanted to have something where I went out and worked in a business. Um, I suppose because my dad had his own business and he um, sold push bikes. And so I used to see him go to work and sell push bikes and come home each day. And I thought that seems like a pretty good life. Um, But I didn't really have any idea how you ended up doing that. And obviously the educational system's all geared towards, you know, studying particular knowing what you want to do and studying all these courses so you become a doctor or a firefighter or a policeman or something was I didn't that didn't really appeal to me but I just wanted to wanted to do something and I just I didn't really know what it was so I just went on a journey of just trying to learn lots of different things and then at some point in time my theory was I'd be able to apply it to something so I've unfortunately or fortunately depending on your viewpoint I'm, I'm still on that journey I'm always learning new things and I'm always trying to work out my place in the world and what's my thing. So um, obviously I've, I've chosen the vehicle of property to sort of, it was my day job, I suppose. But um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't necessarily look at that's the only thing I can do in life. I've done lots of different things and I just look at that as just a vehicle um, to, to continue moving forward and, and trying, to, trying to achieve certain goals. From a young age, Stanish loved to learn and despite his parents' opposition, he became the first in his family to attend university and pursue a career outside of the trading industry. Um, my parents are pretty average sort of people, um, just went to work each day and came home each day. I was probably a bit unusual in the sense of my desire to continue learning. Um, that was probably exceptional in my family in the sense that um, you know, no one in my family had ever, you know, my, my brother and sister both left school when they were about 16 and then just went and got a trade and, and started working straight away, whereas for some reason, I just kept going to school and just kept studying and studying and studying. And my parents were like, why do you keep doing all this study? What's the point of all this? I'm like, I don't know. I just like learning stuff. So so I've just um, continued that and I've just um, massively over-educated for some reason. I just couldn't stop learning things. And so even you know, formally, I've learned lots of stuff, but even outside of all the formal education, I'm listening to podcasts and reading books and DVDs and going to seminars and webinars and a whole pile of different stuff. And Sometimes for no reason at all, just because I like learning things and like experiencing things in different ways. So, yeah, really, not really had a purpose. And then I got through to the end of year twelve and and passed all my my subjects, which was a miracle. And then um, then I decided I have no idea what I wanted to do. So I got to uni and um, I thought, oh, I'll just go to uni because that'll give me an excuse not to get a job. During his university days, Stanish worked a variety of part-time jobs including bartending before looking to stockbroking firms and discovering his passion for economics. Got a job in um, the casino working in the bar there, working from 6 at night until 6 in the morning and realized that that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> I realized wow. that I don't want to do that because I did that for like 6 months and it almost killed me. I worked at all these different places as work experience. And I thought oh, maybe I can do stockbroking. So I went to a stockbroking firm to do work experience, and they said, um, "I said, oh, this is pretty cool, this stockbroking thing. What do I have to do to be a stockbroker?" And they said, "Oh, you got to do and do economics at university." And I'm like, "Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Okay, I'll do that." So I enrolled to do an economics course at university. So then I got an economics degree and an accounting degree, and um, and then I was sort of working at the same time. So I was sort of working full time and studying full time, and then. Um, yeah, then I then I thought, well, I've got this accounting degree. I might as well keep going. So then I did uh, CPA, like an accounting post qualification y thing, 
And so, yeah, so then I become a CPA. The, the reason I did that was because if you go out and work in an office and you're, you've got a degree in accounting, it doesn't really count for a lot. But when you get your CPA, which is a qualified accountant, then your wage basically doubles overnight wow. for no reason okay. just because you've got that piece of paper. After some time working and traveling around Europe, Standish came back to Australia keen to spend his money by investing. Standish was initially drawn to the share market before realizing that the property investment industry had larger, longer-term rewards. And I understood how businesses worked and so I was, I, it all seemed to make sense to me and I spent a bit of time working at how that worked and yeah, I was quite successful in, in investing in shares. Um, the reason I, when I came back to Australia, I decided not to get into shares was because you couldn't borrow money to buy shares. Well, you could, but you can borrow relatively little amount of money. And so the problem with that, if you've got $10,000 and you put it into shares and it, and it, and it doubles, you know, you've just made 10 grand, which isn't a huge amount. Oh, it's great at the end of the day, but it's not a huge amount of money. You can't really retire off that. And so, whereas for property, you can get 10 grand or 20 grand, put that into property and buy a you know, $300,000 property. And it can, you know, if that doubled in value, you know, you made 300 grand, you've only put 10 or $20,000 in, 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 into the whole deal. So you can see your returns a lot greater, even if it only goes up by 10%. You, know, you put 30 grand in, buy a $300,000 property, it goes up by 10%, which is a re- not a relatively huge amount of money, but you suddenly doubled your money that you've invested in the property. So leverage is just so powerful. And so because of my limited capital and because I, um, I wasn't confident enough in investing in shares to, to leverage into shares, then I could only see I could only invest a relatively small amount of money. So, so then I decided you know, property was going to be my thing because I had a bit of money and I'm, I was happy to borrow some money to get into property and I thought, oh, go out and buy a property and, and get started. So, uh, so yeah, that's when I came back here and I bought my first property and decided to give it a go. He bought his first investment property just before the GFC in 2007 despite knowing that the property market would crash. Standish decided to take his chances and locked out on a huge piece of land which he subdivided into 10 units. Okay, I'll sit around and wait for the market to crash because everyone's like, oh, the market's massively overpriced so it's going to crash at some point in time. So I sat around there waiting for the market to crash and then I'm just like, man, how long am I going to sit around waiting for this to happen? So, so I thought, stuff it, I'm just going to go out and buy a property. And I've done a bit of research on you know, trying to create value in property as well and, and property development side of things. And so, yeah, so I thought I'd buy a property with potential to develop. I went a bit over the top though. I bought a property that had um, subdivision approval from subdividing from one into 10. So it was a bit over the top. It had a house wow. on the front and a big block at the back. Um, the weird thing was though, I'd actually looked, um, the person that was selling it to me actually, who actually owned the property was a real estate agent. And so that obviously, you make the assumption that everyone's a lot smarter than you are. <laughs> but I just couldn't see how I could make a mistake in this thing. I could see what price it was. I could see what I could sell it for. And I could sort of rushly try and work out where the numbers are. And I'm like, man, this looks like a really good opportunity. I can't see why I can't you know, buy this thing and make some money out of it. And it just seemed, to, seemed too good to be true. And so, uh, so I just took a punt and bought it and gave it a go. Um, hindsight though, it was a pretty big deal. It was a fair bit of money. I was putting all my money in all my eggs in one basket, taking a huge risk. Unfortunately for me, it paid off and so it was a profitable deal and I did make some money but there were some massive headaches and, and hindsight, looking back, I had no idea what I was doing. It was just purely luck. Um, <laughs> I managed to get out of there unfazed but um, fortunately, I got, got their way through and, and it was a really good experience. I learned from that and then from there on, I realized that I, didn't, I shouldn't really take massive risks like that and so I went a bit more small scales from there on just doing smaller one into two little subdivisions. <laughs> 
Coming up after the break, we'll delve deeper into Standish's journey on how he became property investor and grew his property portfolio. Unfortunately for me, with that period of time, it allowed me to do lots of developments and learn lots of things. Is it How practical experience is always necessary to achieving success in property investment. I've definitely made mistakes that I knew. I knew, you know, I look back and think, and I knew I shouldn't have done that, but I still make the mistake anyway. You have to learn it the hard way. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Looking at buying property in 2018, would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your copy today. Despite the risks, Standish was able to make a profit and gain valuable experience in property development with his first property. Banks pre-GFC also aided his investment by lending money based on the property's subdivided value. The thing that I didn't realize at the time or what I sort of tried to realize as I was going was, you know, I'm going to have to build a road down the side and I've got services and all the civil works and all those sort of complicated things. You know, there's massive X factor. You really have no idea what those things are until and we get the experience but even when you got the experience there is a, a degree of x factor associated with some of those things that you can't um you know until you've put yes, all the money in it. and research that you know exactly what it's going to cost you essentially so so there was a big risk associated with that so from then on it was just i tried to <laughs> didn't want that sort of stress in my life anymore okay. and so then i went more small scale unfortunately for me this was pre-gfc and so the cool thing um once you sort of understood how the finance system worked then basically the banks liked developers back in the old days and if you could show value, they would just give you money. And so basically what you could do then is you could actually, you'd have the approvals, you could refinance the property, you could sell those two blocks of land off to the next person. They wouldn't be able to settle for another nine months because the subdivision hadn't gone through, the house was still sitting on the block. But you just explained to the people they had a bit of time they had to wait. Through his first investment property, Standish was able to learn more about property development and thus advises fellow investors to take on development opportunities. Unfortunately for me, with that period of time, it allowed me to do lots of developments and learn lots of things. Is it basically, you know, I talked to a lot of people interested in getting developments into developing. And one of the things I say is the best way to become a property developer is to do lots of developments. Yep. Um, the danger with that is obviously... Um, you know, if you make a mistake, you lose all your money and it can become really expensive. So obviously, you, you, um, you've got this fine line is trying to learn as much as you can and, and you're limited by your finances. So, you know, you may be able to do only one development a year or two years or whatever it happens to be. And so, you've had a learning experience from that one development, but then you, the next development you do is going to be totally different and you're going to have a whole pile of new different learning experiences. And so, hopefully, those learning experiences aren't too painful and, and cost you lots of money or all your money. And hopefully you can apply that knowledge to the next one. And that's the good thing about property development. It becomes less risky. The more experienced you become, the less risky it is. However, Stanish warns developers against being overly ambitious and taking on too many projects with high risk. problem I see is a lot of developers though, once they build up that skill, they then want to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that's why I find a lot of developers go broke. <laughs> Not because they don't um, 
they, they, it's because they keep upping the ante and so they can do a one into two and they think that's really good and they find it really easy and they've made 50 grand or 100 grand and then they'll do a one into three and then suddenly they make 200 grand and then they'll do a one into five and then they'll do a one into 20 and a one into 200 and then suddenly it all collapses because the skill set you require to do a one into five is a different than a one into two. Likewise, a one into 20 is a different than a one into five or a one into 200. So, so that's the problem. It's, it's a totally different world and there's totally, totally different skills required and, and experience required to get to that sort of stage. And so that's sometimes uh, real experience as developers can, can, it all can collapse because they keep pushing the boundaries of where they can get to. And unfortunately, you never know the limit of your experience until you find out you made a mistake. And then it's, sometimes it's too late, particularly as, you, as the deal is getting bigger and bigger and you're putting all your money in, in the next bigger deal. Stanish believes that success will always come from practical experimentation and that trial and error will always deliver results for property developers. Unfortunately, some of this property development thing you can only learn by, by yourself. But um, And even you can read all the books and go to seminars and webinars and all this sort of stuff. At the end of the day, you, know, you can only learn by trial and error and sometimes you've got to go out and give it a go and, and make mistakes. I've definitely made mistakes that I knew. I knew, you know, I look back and think and I knew I shouldn't have done that, but I still make the mistake anyway. You have to learn it the hard way. While Standish did not fall victim to the GFC as seriously as other investors and developers, he does acknowledge his mistake of impulsively investing. So basically, the example I, I mentioned to you before about the investing pre-GFC. So after the GFC th- happened, the whole pile of property developers all went broke because there was a strategy at that particular point in time. It was all based on value. So you could buy a property, create extra value. The bank would let you refinance and then pull the money back out and you'd be able to buy the next property. And so, and you can, like I said, you could buy multiple properties without actually settling on it because you just keep getting the approvals done. And then you've sold it off in the meantime, you settled it. And then it all, you're basically settling on the property you're buying and selling off the properties you're selling relatively similar amount of time. So you can see how that strategy works quite well. Then the GFC happened and then banks didn't like property developers and they didn't value value anymore. They valued cash flow and, and how are you going to be able to pay for this thing? You didn't have the income. You only had value because you'd sold the properties off to somebody else. Then the rules of the game changed. And so there was a lot of developers that were caught short then is that they couldn't settle on these properties. And all you need is one property you couldn't settle on. And it just was like a house of cards and you'd, you'd get caught short on that one. You'd have to pull money out of one to try and help you out with that one. And then, and then it all built on itself and then it just created this vicious circle where um, one would fall down and they'd all fall down essentially. So a lot of real experience really, you know, they were profitable deals or a lot of lot of developers went broke over that period of time because they just couldn't get the finance to settle on the deals, and it would create this big, um, out of control spiral where they just it just collapsed within themselves. And so, um, currently, Standish applies his experiences from the GFC to his present property investments and tries his best to adapt to the way the property market is now. I was fortunate; I managed to get through there without going bankrupt or other. But a lot of a lot of people I knew, um, yeah, lost everything, and so they went from really profitable, really experienced to to just losing everything they had and, and starting from scratch again. And, and for some people, you know, the pain of experiencing that is just too hard to go back to and to want to put themselves out there again and try and do it again. I just sort of pushed myself through the pain barrier and thinking that all this value, all this experience and all this knowledge I've got, I can still apply that. I just need to change the strategy to adapt to the environment. And so that's, you know, that's why it's a really important to understand finance and how finance works. And, and we're going through a relatively similar sort of uh, a change in the finance market now, which um, not the same as back then, but now it's really focused on 
they're not particularly enthusiastic about investors at the moment and they're trying to, you know, minimize the value of rental income, which was, you know. He's now focused on bulletproofing his portfolio by focusing on positive and stable cash flow so that if disaster was to strike again, he would not get caught by the market. But, you know, there's, there's definitely some potential for the market to change. So I suppose for me, I've really been focused since then is, is trying to bulletproof my property portfolio and trying to really focus on, on, on creating value but also having cash flow as well. And if you can get both those things aligned, then you're going to be in a really strong financial position. And also I could see the frustrating thing during the GFC, there was some great opportunities there. And if you were caught out, then you were desperate and you had to sell. But if you're in a situation, a really strong financial position, you could take advantage of that opportunities and really um, you know, pick properties up at crazy cheap prices and, and make some huge gains. And it was relatively you know, risk-free. And so for me, I really wanted to focus then on how can I, how can I not have this happen to me again? And so, so one of the ways of doing that is making sure I had plenty of cash flow coming in to try and subsidize my, my investing and so that sort of changed my mindset a little bit in the sense of I did want to become a property developer, I did want to do developments, but I wanted to make sure I had cash flow to try and fund those developments well so I wouldn't get caught short if the market changed. So, Standish's experience prompted him to start his own business to help people find the most value in properties and not make the same mistakes that he did. That's one of the reasons. One of the reasons why I, I started helping out other people. Um, firstly, because a whole pile of people kept asking me questions all the time, and I really wanted to make sure I was adding, you know, giving them plenty of value. And sometimes people don't really value free advice, and so I wanted to try and structure it in a way that they really got huge amounts of value and they can really apply it. And so that's why, you know, started helping people out along the way, and then trying to, and then I went on this journey. Um, good or bad, starting up a, a business where I was actually helping out other people. And unfortunately or fortunately, it was um, everything's new. And so running a business as an accountant is is different to when, you, when you're thinking about running a business as a proper business owner and then a whole pile of other things involved in, in marketing and, and managing a business and staff and employees and a whole pile of different things you've got to consider. And so that's been a big journey for me as well now. So for the last 15 years or so, it's just been, um, I've really been focused on how do I create a business which is really efficient and efficient in a sense that creates the most amount of value for my clients with the least amount of effort for me basically so because i've just realized in life and this is one of the things i talk to when i talk to young people they they talk about how do i get a pay rise or how do i earn more money and i'd say create more value for your boss you know at the end of the day he believes that the best solution is to remain independent of his business cycle and to invest in property by creating value outside of what the market dictates I think the aha moment is is trying to make yourself independent of the property market and 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 the market in general, essentially. And so again, it comes down to creating value. That's one of the things I like about property development. Besides, you know, buying a property and waiting for the property to go up, is at the end of the day, you're just waiting for the market. And so that's the thing I like about property development: you're creating value independent of the market. And so if the market goes up as well, that's a bonus. But um, the benefit is if you can look at a property and you can see I can add $100,000 or $200,000 or $300,000 worth of value and irrelevant of the market, then you know, it puts you in a lot more powerful position. It sort of acts as a bit of a safety net, a bit of a buffer in case you've made a mistake because you've added all this extra value and the market goes down. You're still, you're still fine. You're still better than the guy next door that just bought the property and is waiting for the market to go up. While most investors recommend diversifying your risk by applying different strategies to different types of investment and development projects, Standish encourages the opposite. It doesn't have to be property development. It can be renovations or it could be, could be 
whole bunch of options, or it could be lots of different ways to make money, commercial property, industrial property, whatever it is, you really just have to get good at it because the more times you do it, the more experience you get, the less mistakes you're going to make and the more profitable the project's going to be. And the, and the potentially riskier projects are the ones that are more profitable, but they're risky for people that aren't experienced. But for people that are really experienced, they're not particularly risky at all you know, because yeah. they know what they're doing and they're not going to make it. And it might be, you know, I talk to people, I sell commercial properties and stuff as well, and they, you know, they just do com- childcare centers or they just do medical centers or they just do this and that's all I do and I know exactly what I can do with that. So I think whatever the strategy is, you just got to pick a strategy and get really good at it. So inspired by this story and what Darren Standish is excited about today, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on Property Investory Podcast. Well, we'll talk about his struggles on getting out of his comfort zone. But sometimes you're going to have to put yourself out of the comfort zone. What he plans on doing for the next few years. I just, um, again, just want to stick with this whole creating value things and doing as efficiently as possible. How Standish has applied his past experiences to his investments and no longer makes many mistakes. It's relatively hard for me to make mistakes. So, And that's next time in a future episode of Property Invest Story. Also, are you looking at buying property in 2018? Would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to get your copy right now. Thanks for listening.